With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great show for you as we're going to be joined in the second segment by William Moore. Does a great job with MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. We're going to be talking to him about the Atlanta Braves surviving and advancing to face off against the LA Dodgers at the time of the podcast. We did not know whether or not the LA Dodgers would get past the San Diego Padres. We had an idea, but with that said, that certainly is now a set matchup between the Braves and also the Dodgers. We're also going to be talking about the Rays and the Yankees, just how the AL is shaking out the Houston Astros. Their nice come up and so much more. So, going to have a great chat in the second segment. In the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the MLB betting board. It's something I like to call touch them all. And by every game, I mean all one game on the MLB betting board. So, that'll be fun. And I always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you'd like to answer, fire that into my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. If you send these via direct message, aka DM, well, that means does not matter to me, those letters. So, do not send them in there. I did not get in anything today with regards to Twitter questions, but we did have four games on Thursday when it comes to the MLB. So let's take a look at these. As three teams punch our ticket to the National League slash American League Championship Series, and let's try to get to know these teams a little bit better and try to find some trends. 
What games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about? Here is the Rowdy Recap. I'm quite sure that the Atlanta Braves are the first team in MLB history to play five postseason games with four of them being games in which they wound up getting a shutout. 7-0. They just completely blanked the Miami Marlins for the Atlanta Braves. They were able to do so without getting any home runs. They, quite frankly, weren't necessarily terrific with runners in scoring position. Going 4-16 of 16 there, 10 men left on base. I say this as being an overbacker and it not getting there, but with that set for Sixo Sanchez, not his finest start. He winds up going three innings, giving up four runs, all of which weren't. Could have been significantly worse if he did not wind up sharing the bases loaded in the second inning. Trevor Rogers comes in from there. He winds up being able to record five outs, gives up three runs, two of which weren't. Rest of the guys, Amy Garcia, Ryan Sanic, Brian Boxberger, Nick Vincent, they come in for a scoreless inning apiece. The end is now here for the Miami Marlins, and it's their first loss of a postseason series in franchise history, and they did so going 0 of 9 with runners in scoring position. They had some opportunities early in this game to be able to make it a game, but Kyle Wright was able to do a great job with being able to keep them at bay. He goes six scoreless innings. Kyle Wright, a guy that has really turned over a new leaf over the last month or so. And then from there, A.J. Minter, along with Shane Green and Mr. Jacob Webb, were able to give the team a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. So the Atlanta Braves once again get the job done. The Houston Astros are going to be going to the American League Championship Series for, I believe, now the fifth straight year. Might be the fourth, but once again, they are going to be finding themselves there as they take down the Oakland A's by a count of 11-6. For the A's, they were able to get on the board with the 3-0 lead off of a Ramon Laureano home run, and then he would go deep once again off of Zank Greinke. He was someone that was a little bit streaky during the regular season, hitting right around 225, but he was really the only guy that was sitting for the A's on this day when it comes to power as the Oakland A's wound up being able to get 11 hits in this game, but they strained seven men on base. Laureano wound up having four of the team's six RBI, and for the Oakland A's, the struggles of Frankie Montas are very real. He wound up giving up four plus runs, and I believe six out of his last eight starts, giving up five and three and two-thirds innings, including two home runs in this one, and in this series, I think that you had a grand total of 24 home runs. Absolutely ridiculous. As going deep for the Houston Astros in this one, Michael Brantley twice off of Mr. Montas, and then J.B. Wendell can. Jose Altuve got his second home run of the series off of Jake Diekman. Carlos Correa now has five home runs in the postseason after he had five during the regular season. This is just absolutely ridiculous. He went deep off of Montas. For Zach Greinke, there was some rumors as him showing his pitches and everything like that. Very fascinating as to what's going on there. He gives up four runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. And then Ryan Presley gave up two runs in the ninth, but at that point, it was an eight-run lead. Nobody cared because Christian Javier was very good at long relief. Two and a third innings of scoreless baseball. He is sort of, I guess you could call it the Kenta Maeda right now of the Houston Astros. And the Anoli Paredes give the team a scoreless two outs, and Blake Taylor was able to come in as well. And for the Oakland A's, the bullpen, which had been such a good fulcrum for the team all year long, was not that. Joaquin Soria, Jake Deakman, J.B. Wendell can all give up two runs apiece out of the pen. For the bullpen of the New York Yankees, it was very good as it is still to be determined who the Houston Astros are going to be playing in the championship series because the Yankees force a game five against the Tampa Bay Rays. Five to one, the finalist one. For the Tampa Bay Rays, they wound up giving Ryan Thompson the open. He winds up giving up two runs while recording five outs. And Ryan Yarbrough, the ball guy, wound up giving up a home run over the course of five innings. Two total runs that Thompson gave up a home run himself. Going deep for the New York Yankees in this one. You had Gleyber Torres going deep for his first of this series along Luke Voigt and then Aaron Slagers, someone who I still think, despite the fact that he wound up pitching in this game, might be a candidate to give the team an inning or two 
in game five. Wound up giving up one run over the course of four outs because, let's face it, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to find out that they're going to be using Tyler Glasnow as their starter. That is going to be fascinating. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it was also fascinating to see this team not being able to hit Yankees pitching as Jordan Montgomery. He wound up going four innings. He gave up one run. Chad Green, two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Zach Breton, Araldis Chapman. All three of these guys that came out of the bullpen used between 22 and 24 pitches. For Britain, he wound up getting five outs. Araldis Chapman, four outs. They were all able to do the job. And the New York Yankees, despite leaving 10 men on base, they wind up surviving and advancing to a game five. And for the LA Dodgers, they made quick work of the San Diego Padres, taking the series in three games. Dodgers get a 12-3 win over the Dads. As for the LA Dodgers, they did all this without getting a single home run. 8 of 24 with runners in scoring position. They leave 13 men on base, but they wind up getting 14 hits. They draw 9 walks. Adrian Motohon wound up getting the start, and man, it didn't necessarily go well. He gave up 3 runs over the course of 2 innings. Craig Salmon gives up 3 runs, and he records 2 outs. Luis Patino winds up giving up a run while recording 2 outs. Tim Hill and Matt Stram both came in for two-thirds of an inning without giving up a run, but Dan Altavia gave up a run in his appearance. You had Emilio Pagan give the team a scoreless innings, but Austin Adams only came in for one out. Drew Pomerantz had to come in. Garrett Richards, why he was only used for two outs in this game is beyond me, and then Trevor Rosenthal. Just let the levy break. I mean, this is someone that gave up four runs in the course of his inning. That was not necessarily terrific for the Padres. They wound up going one of eight with runners in scoring position. Dustin May, who wound up being used in relief in game one for Walker Beeler. He was pretty much an opener in this one. I think that Tyler Glasso might be finding himself in this sort of a role. He went one inning of scoreless baseball. Adam Florerick out of the bullpen, wound up giving up two runs, but then Julio Arias, the bulk guy, he winds up going five innings, giving up one unearned run. From there, Pedro Baez, Dylan Floro, Blake Tryon, they're able to close the door. Dodgers are going to the National League Championship Series, and they are going to be facing off against the Atlanta Braves. So that is what we all noticed from Major League Baseball on Thursday. Now let's have a good chat with William Bohr about the postseason in general. We're going to be bringing up the juice ball conversation, why things are so lively out there in the state of California. We're going to have a great chat with him coming up on the other side right here on the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Craig Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, and it is great to be joined by our next guest. As This is someone that does absolutely terrific work out there with MLB.com and more specifically MLB Pipeline, taking a look at a lot of these up-and-coming stars in the game of baseball. This is a man that is based out there in the great state of Arizona, and you're able to follow him on Twitter, at WBoar. That last name is spelled B-O-O-R, as it is William Boar joining me on the podcast, and always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem, Greg. Always happy to come on and talk a little baseball with you. First things first, I think that you and I both notice a little bit of something when it comes to this postseason, and that... The ball in the state of California has been flying much differently than the ball out there in the state of Texas. I find it to be very fascinating. Now, as we know, city of Los Angeles has been dealing with some warmer temperatures than normal when it comes to the month of October. But what do you attribute this to? Because when I take a look at the ball and the way that it's been flying out there in Chavez Ravine along Petco Park, this seems like more than just heat that's going on. We had at one point during this round of the postseason 26 home runs and 40 innings. So, I mean, I can certainly see the warmth being able to lead to a couple home runs, but these are some of the best pitchers in the game that are giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. And I just feel like there might be a little bit of something here with the ball being a bit different. 
Yeah, the ALDS Home Run Derby has definitely been something interesting to watch. I think there's a lot of things at play. You mentioned the weather, which is certainly real. Obviously, people are going to wonder if the ball's used and talk about the ball. And that's fair. Obviously, that's been a story in the past. I think there's been you know, articles in science that have proven that the ball's been different through different points in the past probably two, three years. But I also think you've got to look at the stat cast simply on some of these homers. I was looking at, I think the A's-Astros game one had a bunch of homers. And most of them, if not, I think Bregman had one that you would qualify as a cheapie. But otherwise, all of them had exit velocities of 102 miles an hour or more. So some of these balls, frankly, are getting crushed. We saw the one Stanton hit the other night that went like, I think it was 118 off the bat. So I think while the weather is definitely a factor, the ball probably is a factor. I don't really know for sure on that one, but I think actually do at some point have to give the hitters credit. Obviously not saying you're not, but I think as I'm, you know, scrolling through Twitter, like you just constantly see like, wow, the weather, oh my God, the ball is juiced. How can the ball be like, this isn't fair. And part of it, I think at some point you got to take a step back and be like, maybe that contributes a little bit, but if they're hitting the ball, 110 miles an hour, chances are it's going to go pretty far. Absolutely. These are certainly some of the best hitters in the game that we're seeing right now, along with some of the best pitchers as well, as we do have William Bohr joining me on the podcast. And the team that's pitched best so far this postseason is the Atlanta Braves. Now, we've seen them just absolutely stymie teams. We saw it in that Red Series. They did not wind up giving up a single run. And for that matter, three of their first four games in this postseason have been shutouts. How much of this do you think is just... The sheer depth and just how good the top end starters are for the Atlanta Braves. And how much of it do you think is just the teams that they played against? Because with the Cincinnati Reds, as we know, they had the worst batting average of any team to really make it into the postseason in the history of baseball for the Miami Marlins. We saw them have their chances on Thursday and they wind up going over several with runners in scoring position in the first three innings. That put them in a massive hole. And in my opinion, it probably is a little bit of a 75% you give credit to the Atlanta Braves and their staff, 25% you pin it on the other teams. Where do you stand with regards to that? Because I think that it's very fascinating in a postseason, which I just mentioned it, we've seen a bunch of home runs. I think, yeah, it's a real chicken or the egg sort of thing. I kind of like the percentages you gave there because I think, yes, part of it's the lineup. We know the Reds weren't good. The Marlins, even if you go back to spring training or summer camp or whatever, it's kind of surprising that they are where they are. No one really thought they had the talent to go this far. And so you kind of thought at some point it would run out. That being said, I do think the Braves have good top end starting pitching. I'm not sure how deep they are and they'd have to, you know, start four different guys in five days. I think that gets interesting. But if you're taking care of these series in three or four games, I think they're positioned really well to do it. And I think what the Braves are going to benefit from now and then moving forward into the NLCS are the way that these playoffs are set up with the limited off days, limited slash no off days, being able to save your bullpen is huge. And you hearing people talk about that just, you know, from maybe a game two to a game three or a game three to a game four in a series. But what about what the Braves are going to be able to do? Being able to do that completely from a DS uh, all the way to a CS and have, I don't know when the NL would start, I think Sunday or Monday, you know, going to have a full like three days off for all those all those pitchers. I think that could be a huge benefit going forward if they face, you know, the Dodgers that are going to wear down pitchers. I agree with you. And I think what's going to be big for the L.A. Dodgers is I've got to think that they're going to survive in advance against the San Diego Padres as we're doing this podcast right now. We don't know how game three of that series wound up going, but I don't place a lot of faith in Adrian Morajon of being able to 
slow down the LA Dodgers. And with the Dodgers, the big concern right now is Walker Buehler because he wound up dealing with that blister about a week or so ago on his hand. He wound up coming out in game one against the Padres, and he really didn't give up a lot of runs, but you could tell that he was less than efficient. He wound up giving up four walks and four innings, but he was able to get out of it thanks to eight punch-outs. How critical do you think it is for the Dodgers to be able to get a solid five innings out of him? Because when I take a look at the Dodgers, out of all the teams that remain in the postseason, really past the Tampa Bay Rays, who they always have so many guys that you're able to look to out of the bullpen for multiple innings. I think that they've got the best pitching depth out of anyone. And if it is winding up being L.A. Dodgers versus the Atlanta Braves, the Braves certainly have their top-end starters with Ian Anderson along with Max Fried. But after that, you're really going to need to look to the bullpen in so many of those games, like Game 3, Game 4, so on and so forth, for the bullpen to give you a whole bunch of innings. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we're recording this before Game 3 of that series, so not sure how it plays out. But even if the Padres scratch across and win Game 3, the Dodgers are the only team in baseball that didn't lose three consecutive games at any point this season. The eighth and ninth innings last night, I know the Dodgers won, but those innings weren't pretty. Had to burn three, yeah, understatement there, had to burn three, four pitchers. The start date of the NLCS is set. So the Dodgers' strong starts are always preferred, but they just have to close it out. And then you rest them, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I agree, as we do have William Borg joining me on the podcast. And William, when you just take a look at the Dodgers in general, when it comes to their closer situation, I think it's very intriguing because Dave Roberts continues to be very stingy about Kenley Jansen. I'm not very happy with Kenley Jansen because in Game 2, I need the Dodgers to win by two-plus runs. Kenley Jansen comes in and, well... He did not get the job done as he inherited a three-run lead and could not hold on. Joe Kelly winds up closing the door from there. But what the Dodgers have is the number one bullpen ERA in the National League for the season. You've got so many guys like a Bursuiter Gratterall who have done a terrific job for this team. They've been able to get something out of Jake McGee who has a cast-off for the Colorado Rockies. Blake Tryon has been pretty solid all year long. When I take a look at this Dodgers team, do you think that there's a chance that Kenley Jansen may be falling out of that closer spot? Because I know that Dave Roberts has just been very stingy with keeping him there. But when you take a look at the Dodgers, they certainly have the arms to be able to replace them. And I just have no idea why a move hasn't been made. Yeah, I think Dave Roberts wants to show confidence in Jansen. And I think it'd be interesting to see if Gratterall would have stayed in the game if it had been a one-run lead. I think, you know, it's a safe situation and it's a three-run lead. That should have been a really easy spot to kind of say, Jansen's our closer. Hey, go get a save. It's high leverage because it's the playoffs, but it really wasn't high leverage, if you kind of know what I mean there. Or I guess maybe you with the <laughs> when you need the two runs, <laughs> but, but for the overall... High leverage should be here. Yeah, but overall, if you, you've got you know, a three-run cushion, you put him in there as your closer, and it should be okay. I really would have liked to see how the bullpen would have been managed in a one-run game. The other thing is, Kenley, he's been here for you. He's been in the postseason for you before. Gratterill's a rookie. Maybe that plays into it. I'm not sure, but I am curious if game three is close or if we're tied or one-run game in the next series. Do they kind of play the matchups a little bit more? Do they just say, screw it, Gratterall's the guy in the ninth? Does Kenley get one more chance? I'm really curious to see how they play this. It's really tricky, obviously. You can't give away playoff games. If someone blows a save in June, it sucks, but you can deal with it. You know, right now, that leash has got to be short, and you got to think that it's getting shorter by the day. No, not at all. It certainly is one of those cases in which I think that Dodgers fans might feel the sentiments of myself as I'm merely looking out for my bankroll. They're looking out for their team, and it seems like we're on the same page. And one thing that I'm thinking as well is that if there is a team that can knock off the L.A. Dodgers and be able to win the World Series, 
it might be in your right now to Tampa Bay Rays because even if the New York Yankees were to wind up making the World Series, I just don't have a lot of faith in this team at this point because the hitting, no doubt, is there. John Carlos saying absolutely terrific. Aaron Judge, no question, he's going to be able to find it. And then you've got your Shell and company. But you take a look at the bullpen for the Yankees. You've got some big names, but they aren't quite what they once were in Zach Britton, as Chapman, Adam Adovino. And then you take a look at the starting pitching. It's just been a nightmare. Now, Masahiro Tanaka in Game 3 wound up just not getting the benefit of the calls. I don't think there's any debate there. But when you're trotting out there, Jordan Montgomery, you're getting one inning out of Davey Garcia, and he's relieved by Jay Happ, who had been looking a little bit better going into the postseason, but he certainly didn't have the best go of it. I just don't see how the Yankees would be able to hold up, even if they are scoring like five-plus runs per game, just because the pitching is not there for this team. You mentioned the Rays as being able to maybe knock the Dodgers out of the World Series. I wouldn't necessarily sleep on or write off the Braves yet. But as far as the Rays are concerned, yeah, I think a really complete team is showing up really well. I think this version of the Rays is really interesting because of the top end of the rotation. Um, obviously, they've had a good team for a couple years now, and they've always had really good bullpen guys. But I think now with Glass now and Snell, you've really got you know games one and two where you feel really good. Whereas before in the past, you know they were they kind of invented the whole opener thing which can work, but it's also a sign of, hey, I don't really have a game one, give the ball to this guy. And now that they've kind of got two of them, it makes you feel a little better about picking them in a series. I think the Yankees are in trouble. I don't like what I've seen over them over the past couple of days. And I think maybe you thought Tanaka would fare a little better, but I think going into this series, especially seeing what we saw in the regular season, that I don't think anything we've seen is a surprise. I think we all kind of knew that the Yankees could hit. We all kind of knew the Rays were the better team. The fact that game one went the way it did, it's like we knew Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in this series, but we know the Rays are the better team. So the fact that the Yankees won game one and the Rays have won the other two, me, it kind of goes in line with everything we probably should have seen coming. I agree. We, I do like what the Tampa Bay Rays are able to provide. And to your point, the Atlanta Braves, they have the only lineup that features three guys that had a 315 or greater during the regular season. Marcel Ozuna, Travis Sayarno, along with Freddie Freeman. And you can make the case of Freddie Freeman and Marcel Ozuna could arguably finish one or two in the MVP voting themselves, as we do have William Borg joining me on the podcast. And William, when you take a look at the postseason in general, what is maybe a storyline that's being a little bit buried? Because I am very caught up in the Dodgers and this perhaps being their World Series to lose. I'm certainly liking what I'm seeing on the Tampa Bay Rays, but do you think that there's any player, any team, something like that, that might be going a little bit under the radar that the casual fans should know about a little bit more? I think it's the Braves, and I don't think it's their fault. I think it's like we talked about earlier. They've played the Reds. They played the Marlins, so that's kind of a little bit less interest there. They swept the Reds and the Marlins. And then the other thing is they have played all five of their games have been that early morning time slot. So you've got, you know, they're playing small market teams in an early morning time slot. I think they're probably someone that's fallen under the radar a little bit, as much as you can, you know, fall under the radar in the playoffs. And I think it's shame because they've been playing really well. And like you mentioned, that lineup, you didn't even mention Acuna. Like they've got a lot of fun players to watch, but a little advanced. So I don't think you can be underrated or fly under the radar in the NLCS. So if no one's been watching them yet, they'll get a chance pretty soon here. 
Oh, absolutely. We're going to be seeing them on a grand stage and a man that also deserves a grand stage. That'd be you, William. You do absolutely terrific work out there with MLB.com. You do a nice job of being able to look at the young stars of the MLB with MLB Pipeline as well. So both the good people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing in general. Yep. You can follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at WBOOR. And I will pretty much be doing what I always do over the next couple of weeks, just be watching. Watching the games, tweeting out my thoughts, interacting with fans. You got questions, input, whatever. Send it my way and let's all enjoy the rest of postseason baseball. Absolutely. It'll be gone before we know it, unfortunately. But we can cherish the games that we do have. And William is certainly doing that. So big thanks to William Bohr of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining me right here on the podcast. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a sign total on every game on Friday's MLB betting board. And something you like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to William Bohr of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the MLB Betting Board. And by every game, I mean one game on the MLB Betting Board. And something else to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Normal disclaimer, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JuniorScore41. Typically, this is where I say we'll be going in Las Vegas rotation order, but, well, it's hard to screw up an order when you've got one game. That is 933-934 on the betting board. Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing against the New York Yankees out there in San Diego, California, as it's going to be Garrett Cole going for the New York Yankees, and Tyler Glasnow, the Game 2 starter from before, going for the Tampa Bay Rays, as we're seeing a total on this game is ranging between 7.5 and 7. On the 7, the over is minus 120, and the under is even, and on 7.5, under is juice of minus 120, and the over is even. If you're looking at the Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155. Meanwhile, plus price here with the Rays is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145, and I'm seeing this Tick up in quite a few places with money coming in on the Yankees, and rightfully so. With Tyler Glass, no, you can't think that he's going to be going much more than like two innings or something like that. He is pretty much a opener, perhaps an opener plus, because let's face it, this guy wanted a pitching game too, and I believe that that was on Tuesday. That would not necessarily be ideal to have them go much further than that. And for the New York Yankees, they've been doing a superb job in this series. They have scored at least four runs in every one of these first four games. And for the Rays, you got to look for someone that's going to be able to give this team a couple innings. I do think that Aaron Sleggers might be a candidate for that. He really hasn't pitched at all this postseason. He wound up getting a start during the regular season. If you take a look at his last five long relief appearances, he's went at least two innings in every one of them. So I think that he's a prime candidate for this. 346 ERA. I'm taking a look at him. Being someone that might be called in to hold down the fort after Tyler Glasnow winds up leaving the game. And for Glasnow, he wound up punching out nearly 14 guys per nine innings during the regular season. Season. He no doubt had a terrific year, but this is also someone that he's been tagged for quite a few home runs. 11 home runs in the regular season, 4 in the postseason, so a combined 15 over the course of 68 and a third innings. 
that is a little bit of an issue, and it's not like he did a great job last time he wound up going up against the Yankees on Tuesday. And with Glasnow, he did wind up getting the win in that game, at least the team did, but he wound up giving up four runs, two homers in the course of five innings, so that is going to be an issue. When you take a look at Garrett Cole, he's on a little bit of short rest, but it's nothing too extreme as he wound up pitching game one. He is someone that has been able to excel during this postseason. Now, he has given up a couple home runs himself. You take a look at his two postseason starts, a combined three home runs, and for the year, a combined 86 innings. He has given up 17 home runs in that time span, but he's only given up 19 walks as well. He has been doing a great job getting swings and misses against the Rays and the Cleveland Indians. He combined 13 innings this postseason, 21 strikeouts. He's looking like one of the best pitchers out there in baseball. And with the New York Yankees, I mean, what more needs to be said about this lineup? They have done an absolutely terrific job. John Carlos Stan just keeps on going yard every single night, seemingly, for this team. Aside from, obviously, last night, but still, I believe that he has six home runs so far in this postseason and eight total hits, so that's impressive. Here, Nix has been able to come alive in the series as well. He's hitting above a 400 across these four games, along with Brett Gardner. These are two guys that they wound up hitting below a 230 during the regular season. Gio Urshela has not necessarily been able to find it, but the personal catcher of Garrett Cole is Kyle Higashioka, and he has looked actually very good throughout this postseason. He has wound up giving the team four games. He is hitting above a 300. He had a three-home run game earlier this season, so that is reassuring. Aaron Judge has not really been able to find it here in the postseason, but Luke Voigt, despite hitting a buck 33 this postseason, he was able to get a home run yesterday. He had 22 during the regular season. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a team that they're trying to get a little bit out of Yandy Diaz. He wound up not producing a lot during the regular season, just with regards to a total game standpoint, but when he's been out there sitting right around 300 this postseason, it's not necessarily been there. Randy Arozarena finally came back to earth in Game 4. He went 0 for 4, but he's still hitting 500 for this series. Joey Wendell has been doing a nice job of getting on base, but this is a Rays lineup that they went a little bit cold. I do feel like there's a little bit of feast or famine with this team. That certainly was the case in Game 4, but I do think that this is going to be a good matchup for them to be able to get a couple runs across because G-Man Joy just owns Garrett Cole. I mean, I think he has three home runs off of him just this year alone, so that is something. I mean, this is a guy in general in Cole that he's done a great job of getting swings and misses against the Rays, but he's going to give up a couple long balls, but I just have so many questions here with the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that this total, whether you're getting 7 or 7.5, it's just set too low because we've just been seeing the ball flying out of Petco Park this entire series. Manuel Margot has been able to do a solid job for the Rays in this entire season in general. I expected less than what he's been able to deliver. He wound up hitting like a 280-285 during the regular season. In the postseason he had just a line drive home run. I believe that was in game three, so he's been able to give the team something. And for the Rays, even though they do have such a good bullpen, I think they are just not going to be able to hold up in this spot because they wound up having to use up a bunch of arms in game four. They are going to have to use up pretty much their entire staff here. I think that it's just a little bit too much, and despite the fact that the Yankees don't necessarily have the world's greatest bullpen, despite the fact that they've got the big names that are old as Chapman and Zach Britton, they're going to be able to get a quality start out of Garrett Cole, and it is going to be enough. So we're going to be taking this little over, and we're going to be riding with the Yankees money line, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Friday. A big thanks to William Bohr of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you have a very big question for the podcast, feel free to fire that into my Twitter timeline at JRSCordy1. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well, and I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.